Hi, I'm Lily, and you're listening to How to Win Friends and Influenza, the podcast. I've been reading a book called Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday, and it's pretty good, but that'll be for another episode. In this episode, I want to talk about something else, which is stiller is the key. Specifically, what happens if you try to take some kind of precious, insightful, profound life learning out of a Ben Stiller movie? I mean, is that even possible? Maybe. In this episode, we're going to explore what happens when you try to analyze a movie involving Ben Stiller. That movie specifically is Brad's Status. It's by the writer of School of Rock, but it's not School of Rock. There's no Jack Black. It's not actually very funny. And look, if you don't want any spoilers, then maybe stop listening here and go to a different episode. But it's really not that funny. It's kind of just like awkward. I've seen about two minutes of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which involved a lot of awkwardness in an elevator. And this is not really that different. It's like a really darker, sadder, maybe not as dark. Hmm. Well, it's kind of like The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, except I guess in this one, there's a lot of stuff about Ben Stiller, like the character that he plays, his kid and college and all that kind of stuff. From what I saw of Walter Mitty, it was just like elevators and people in suits and things. So, so look, the movie plot is basically about the poisonous comparison of one person to another. It's, it's a story about this guy who's got a wife, he's got a son, and the son is teenage and looking at different colleges, but this guy's not happy because, for one thing, he's really unhealthily obsessed with social media and stalking his old college associates on social media. But the other thing, he keeps feeling like he's not rich enough, especially perpetuated by this stalking of these people. He feels like he hasn't accomplished anything. And thirdly, he's just like questioning himself, like, is he worth anything? What has he done? And basically he's being very ungrateful for everything that he's got. It's hard to say if this is realistic or not, because in, in one way it seems extremely exaggerated. He's this person with a comfortable house, a seemingly quite pleasant family, and the family seems quite happy. And it's not clear if that is actually a dynamic that would often happen in, in real life. So look, that part seems a bit unrealistic, but at the same time, it is a sentiment that can affect, and probably does affect, a lot of people. Perhaps it's been exaggerated in a way because it's a Ben Stiller movie, and it's a movie. <laughs> but it's not impossible for something similar to this to occur. I suppose when it's put into the movie format, it just seems like it's a lot more ridiculous. If it was someone in the middle of their actual life, maybe it's a lot harder for them to pick up when they're in the middle of it. Maybe if someone's walking around in a dark forest, let's say like the, the forest in Harry Potter, maybe it's really hard to see where you are in the middle of it from the outside. Someone laughing and peering from the main Hogwarts castle. It's easy to see, oh look, there's a dark forest, you probably should never have wandered into that. But when someone just takes one step in and then another step in and eventually they're in the middle of it, it's a lot harder to have that overall view. So look, it's, it's about comparison, but it's not just about that. It's almost a story about unwanted nepotism, depending on how you look at it. What happens is this guy's taking his kid on a, on a tour of different colleges and his kid sounds 
somewhat high achieving or just has a really inflated sense of self. But in any case, uh, the, the kid um, feels like he's probably going to get into Harvard. But Ben Stiller is not happy with just that possibility and suddenly calls upon these old college associates that he hasn't talked to in a long time and tries to, to get another foot in. Like He's like, oh, it's his duty to help the kid make it in and be guaranteed in. But it seems quite self-centered, like he's doing it to make himself look higher. I mean, there's entire like fantasy scenes where he's picturing what it's like when his kid's famous and how that's going to reflect on him and how he's going to feel so ecstatic living through the kid's achievements. And then right after that, there's this other really disturbing sequence where he's just imagining the kid goes on a public late night talk show and then disses his parents in public. And then he's like, oh no, what if his kid is like too successful? And then it actually backfires on himself, himself being Ben Stiller. Like he as a parent then gets ridiculed for that. So there's a lot of weird insecurity going on there. But this idea of unwanted nepotism is a bit strange because achievement isn't always just important for achievement's own sake, but it's more the process that got someone there. The ability to think of something that hasn't yet happened, decide you're going to make it happen, and then actually make it happen. That that can be a really incredible kind of thing. And then it's not so much about the achievement, but the achievement is just the proof that you were able to do that, that you were able to make that happen, that you could build that empire or build that business or create that thing. So how should people feel about getting a foot into the door, foot through the door from someone else's influence? Now, there are certain ways in which that's amazing and that's an achievement in itself. You know, someone having the guts to reach out to someone famous or influential when they're sort of in a position of nothing or managing to work their way into an influential circle. You know, if it's someone cold calling a huge number of people and then that's how they get their big break, that's something else. I mean, there's that story about um, someone who seems to just come from nowhere selling like, I don't know, like a $12 million house to someone. People look at that and they say, wow, well, that person got lucky. But in reality, as a story goes, what actually happened, um, instead of just this person, just, you know, this is the story that this person's in line at the coffee shop, they get talking to someone and this person buys a $12 million house from this real estate agent. It's like, wow, what, what great fortune that you were there in that line together. But the other side of the story is that this person, this real estate agent, figured out where the clients were that they wanted to target. And they went to this coffee shop day after day after day after day and kept talking to people around them and kept trying every day, even without success, just working their influence in this coffee shop until one day a deal was made. And then from that point of view, was it so much luck? There's, there's always a bit of luck involved in everything. But was it really so much luck compared to this person making their luck happen? So we would argue in favor of the latter, that, you know, luck is when preparation meets hard work is, is what the quote says. So depending on how you look at it, nepotism can probably be a really bad thing. Because if this position of power, of seeming success comes about completely through no work, from this person to a disproportionate degree. I mean, the fact that you were born means that without any work, you received a position of great privilege. So we're not talking about that. But for example, someone who 
completely otherwise would not have got in, but their father was like a bit of a leech and called around some old associates. There's a question about whether that is so satisfying. At least it did seem a bit strange that his kid was immediately excited about this. Like the kid was saying that his school counselor said he was good enough that he could get in already by himself and he wasn't fussed about things. But when the influence came through from his father, it was a bit strange that he immediately just launched upon it, was happy about it, didn't question like, oh, does this undermine his achievement that he would never know then what he wanted to do on his own terms if he would get in. That seemed a bit strange. I guess the problem seemed bypassed because in the end they visited a different university and the kid became more interested in the culture of the other university. But that was strange. This idea of this comparison and easy access to nepotism. Now the, the strange thing about Ben Stiller's comparison is that he wasn't really doing it with friends or peers. These were people he knew in college ages and ages ago. They weren't really in the same circles on the same levels anymore. I'm not saying that you should compare to friends, but this seemed like an even more remote comparison. You know, when people say apples and oranges, well, maybe comparing apples and oranges like they're still fruit, maybe that's better than comparing like a lemon to a train or something. So that was kind of weird. He didn't even seem to have the same values. He'd taken a way different route from these people, and yet he was still comparing to them. And even when other people, like college students, who were probably like less than half his age, were trying to point out that he was already very privileged, it's like, he didn't seem to believe that. And when his wife pointed out that he had plenty already, he only wanted to compare to those people who were already unattainable, in a sense, to him. And instead of doing something about it, he'd already given up hope. So that seemed really counterproductive. <laughs> so look, I'm not trying to diagnose anyone with anything. We're only focusing on the main character. But look, if we were to conduct a mental state examination of Ben Stiller's character in this movie, hmm, that would be kind of interesting. So look, he presents as a middle-aged, uh, reasonably well-groomed uh, gentleman um, with short hair, slightly graying. Um, look, wearing casual clothing generally, a little bit of jewellery, a watch and wedding ring. Generally good eye contact throughout the film. It's a little bit different because we're not just looking at one interaction, we're just looking at you know different camera views across a movie. But good eye contact, reactive, Generally seem pretty settled, you know, no psychomotor agitation or retardation. Fairly normal tone rate volume of speech, um, American accented. Slightly, slightly dysthymic at times, you know, but generally euthymic. So this was a strange, really strange thing where it's arguable if, if this came off entirely realistically in the movie. But he seemed generally euthymic, but let's say the content of his thoughts will come across as dysthymic in a way, like the thoughts of someone who would be proportionally like much more <clears throat> unhappy with their life. I mean, in a lot of the film, he's basically not present. You know, someone, someone else is eating food with him in a restaurant and he's just zoning off and thinking about something else. And it kind of makes you question like, how did this person even get to this kind of functional level if he's always doing that? So that seemed quite exaggerated. People did notice a few times, but not to the extent that you could hear this character's internal monologue. He seemed to have insight, but he was externalizing, you know. He was kind of unpleasant, bragging at times, a bit slimy using these old connections. 
but look, going back to this rough structure of a mental state examination, look, he was generally, generally sort of linear and goal-directed enough, but had this strange lack of social awareness at times. I mean, creeping out of a hotel room at one point while his son was sleeping to join his son's friends at a bar when they presumably, these girls, like less than half his age, were giving a kind of pity invite. It was like super, super quite creepy. So, look, he would generally be okay in, in conversations, like in normal conversations, no psychotic phenomena observed, but there was extensive rumination about, you know, this comparison, preoccupation with this um, favorable valuation of others being quite insecure with this and quite ungrateful in his cognitive processes. You could loosely argue that there were some features of a generalized anxiety disorder, but again, we're not going too much into that. But basically, there was insecurity about achievements or his perceived lack thereof. Orientation obviously was grossly intact and clearly seemed like someone who would benefit from <laughs> a psychologist. But the main thing was these almost like personality traits, this kind of sense of entitlement, as pointed out by that college girl who seemed to be humoring him in this bar. She had this really cringeworthy kind of uncomfortable look, but she seemed to be pandering to him. And later on, it turns out that she messages, of course, Ben Stiller, his character, his character's son, to mention that they talked. And it's kind of implied that something not that favorable was said because the son asked him like, is he having like a mental breakdown or something? So presumably she was listening to him to do her kind of civil duty and just make sure he wasn't going to do something crazy. But look, it's pointed out by this college girl that, you know, he's basically entitled that he has, in her words, white male privilege, and also in her words, first class problems, which is a bit interesting because I don't know if that's different from first world problems, if this is some kind of like hybrid between X-Men first class and first world problems. But anyway, white male privilege first class problems are the words that she uses. So, it's kind of, kind of interesting that in this movie, ironically, the people who have the most insight are actually the kids, you know, the, the teenagers. And they're the ones telling the adults how to live their life. Not even, not even in a terrible imposing way. It's just Ben Stiller is meant to be the adult, but he's the one dumping his problems on other people, making other people listen to him, being really awkward, seeming to not have learned that much through his life, and then receiving pretty great advice from kids and not fully listening to it. So it's just really strange. It's just really backward, which kind of makes you think sometimes, is it really that you exclusively progress as you go through life? I mean, that's the ideal, that you gain knowledge, you gain wisdom, and then you can teach the next generation. Is it that? Or is there a danger that something will be worn away or something will be lost? Could it be that the, the level of wisdom or the level of attitude that you have when you're younger could be the right thing before you're jaded and torn down by life. And maybe progression through life is not purely a way in which you want to build your skills and learn more, but what if it's a quest to not be torn down? You know, like you're going through this dangerous journey, you're, you're Sinbad going on your ship and your soldiers are being picked off one by one and you're facing all of these strange mythological creatures. Is your goal just to have adventures, to learn things and 
to seem smarter and then have a lot of stories to tell if or when you make it back home? Is it just that? Or could it be to go through all of these trials and tribulations and still maintain part of your being? To maintain a kind of link to childhood, innocence, wisdom, sense of fun. And when I say childhood wisdom, I guess it's that, that childhood subscription to simple truths. You know, like Aesop's fables, things like that. Before you get to really complex kind of beliefs as adults. I don't think that was the point of the movie, but there was probably more the irony of the kids knowing more than the adults. But I think there is a thinking point there. You know, that's, that's something to consider. Is the goal really just to accumulate more and more, not just possessions, not just knowledge, you know, all of that? Or could it be to try and preserve yourself, try and keep parts of yourself intact, keep that sense of childhood fun intact as you go through life? And I think that's, that's something really important to consider. If you're trying to improve yourself, if you're trying to be a better person, part of that will involve keeping the good bits of your inner child. There are some bits that you would want to work on, like your internal scripts, things that you follow negative examples of, but you want to keep those good parts. That's really important. That's what makes people who they are. So it's pretty interesting. One thing, though, that this movie did really, really teach me is I didn't know you were allowed to show children snorting, well, implying that children were snorting drugs. I mean, there's one of his other twisted fantasy scenes where he's like imagining his college associate and his family like you know doing a whole ton of cocaine or whatever on a plane and these kids who seem like they're 10 years old are like happily snorting some kind of like white powder i didn't know that was allowed that seems a bit strange but look look the, the world is the world is strange <laughs> so look one thing that was quite strange is, is how ben stiller's character obviously is very self-conscious this is the whole premise of the movie and it's strange that these thought process probably must have been brewing for some time. It, it doesn't have that flavor of just a sudden midlife crisis. It seems like he's been following the, his associates on Instagram for a while and, and seeing their photos from, you know, one has like his own private jet, is really successful. Another one's like on uh, and has a family. Another one is like frequently on television, is also a professor at a university, at, you know, at Harvard in this movie, and that's the one he tries to get the links from. Another one is living on some kind of tropical island and has like multiple girlfriends. So he's just looking at all of it. Oh, and another one has this super amazing architectural design of a home and is also famous and recently had a wedding that he wasn't invited to. And he's all torn and caught up about it that he hasn't seen these people in like 10 years. He's presumably not offering anything to them. He's just preoccupied on how he can better himself externally. But he doesn't seem to be focusing on what is he offering to them? Like what support has he offered to them? In fact, he has entire scenes where he talks about he was trying to set up his own business. He was trying to get money from other people. He was trying to canvas them for donations. He's got this kind of uh, matchmaking of um, non-government organization, like of charity kind of approach. And he was trying to canvas his college associate for funds. And then he gets really torn because the college associate who, you know, by this point is getting quite successful, just didn't reply. Later, the college associate, this uh, on TV talk show kind of guy, you know, they're having, they're having dinner together which he actually, out of his busy schedule, agreed to quite promptly see Ben Stiller's character for. They're having dinner and uh, 
and he mentions at time he's like he's sorry about it but he you know he's just really busy with all 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 the things he was doing and surely Ben Stiller's character understands that he gets these kinds of requests all the time and can't really reply to all of them something along those lines so it doesn't seem like Ben Stiller's uh, thought processes were new it seems like they were there for some time and this is a really weird thing his family seemed totally unsuspecting it's strange. Like, are they attracted to the negativity or was he so good at hiding his negativity that they just hadn't noticed? Were they so clueless? I mean, that's also a strange thing. It's like this stuff is going on for him and the people around him didn't notice. I mean, he didn't know that his son was trying to uh, go to Harvard and do music, but his, his wife already knew. And yet he never knew until that trip. So it just seems strange. Maybe maybe it's a comment on, on loneliness and how... Um, People will seek external achievements to compensate for things that they feel are lacking. I mean, there's studies that show that people will, you know, there's some kind of link that people will be more preoccupied with money if they have sort of less social stuff to focus on, that they almost are um, replaceable for each other. If you're satisfied with the things around you, then you don't need as much of a focus on the money. And it doesn't mean that everyone focused on money is is lonely and purely focused on that there can be other reasons you know it can be that someone is really passionate about what they're doing is having you know big investment into their in their business and that's their passion but if someone is purely focused on the money for the sake of the money and not for some other proxy of how much they're into their achievement or creation then you have to wonder why are they doing that and is it to compensate for something that else that's missing would it be more productive to it to address the other thing that's missing well look going back to ben stiller's movie and his character in the movie it just seems like he was trying to fit into the wrong crowd he's clinging onto the wrong people wrong for him not that they actually seem like terrible people they actually sounded like nice people i mean they were open to him like out of the blue talking to them and they actually went and did things for him it seems like it's not just about expectations about connection you know it's not just Ben Stiller had these expectations that weren't met of his character that is of thinking that he would succeed and then even trying to blame other people you know what did his wife lack ambition is that why things like that I mean does have a moment of insight where he's like he can't blame other people for it but then it just seems like an excuse to go back into the self-pity but it's not just about expectations not being met. Oh, that makes people disappointed and then they have their midlife struggles. But it was like there was a lack of connection. Like he didn't really have someone he could confide all of these things into. The, the wife didn't fully listen, just kind of downplayed his fears. Maybe that's why he kind of needs a psychologist. You know, but the whole point is that it's connection. Some people will have chemistry and some will not. And that's just how life is. And it can be really unproductive, like in Ben Stiller's character's case, to be holding on to these perceived connections when there aren't any. It seems ludicrous because he was wholly hanging on because they seemed like people he could compare himself to, that they'd started from the same year in college and that he was then using them as a benchmark to beat himself up with. If he had ended up being better than them, it's conceivable that he just never would have cared about them. Like he was only comparing himself higher you know, that, that ultimate kind of encapsulation of the keeping up with the Joneses mentality, except now the Joneses aren't living next to you. They aren't your neighbours. They're digitally next to you, like on Instagram or something. They're the thing that you, you swipe your screen and then you, you see these people. And that's 
what he was doing. Now, the other terrible thing is that he was using his phone to look at social media in bed while he was meant to be sleeping. And obviously, that can lead to really unproductive places. But look, there was a lot of irony in this movie, a lot of strange contradictions. I mean, one, one part that I found extremely ironic was this double irony um, in this restaurant, you know, when he was, he was talking about how he wasn't invited to a wedding, that, like, he had no connection with these people anyway. <laughs> like, he wasn't offering anything, and he was saying, oh, he doesn't care. But then why was he, why was he so preoccupied with it? Anyway, so that was a bit strange. But there was another irony, because his son mumbled to him, you're mumbling. <laughs> and that just seemed really ironic. And then, finally, the fact that the son offered condolences, saying sorry to him. Again, it was this reversal of maturity levels that Ben Stiller, his character, was meant to be the adult, but he was the one moping like an immature person. And the supposedly immature person, the son, his progeny, was the one who was trying to comfort him, telling him sorry, offering him condolences. I guess it just shows that something is really strange, something is possibly really wrong when these kinds of dynamics get all reversed. And the next link in that, in that flowchart, leads you to think, well, what's wrong? Why is it wrong? This is like a cautionary tale. You don't want to end up like that. And it seems like the big thing that was wrong was this sense of entitlement leading to then comparison as a result of not uh, being satisfied with his life because of this kind of entitlement, not seeing the privilege that he already has. You know, this idea that you have enough, that he has his health. It's just strange that the children were right. They had basic beliefs that were simple but uncomplicated by the world that they could see. Look, there are people who live below a single number of digits in dollars every day and Ben Stiller's character was nothing near that. So it's a big argument for, for gratitude and things like that. Now the most horrible part really was the scene where he's meeting this, this college associate guy, this guy who's really successful. Actually, um, a little bit before this scene, he's talking to his son's friend. Um, they know each other from this orchestra thing. Oh, by the way, it gets really strange at, at the very end of the movie when they're actually watching this orchestral performance. Uh, and <laughs> that girl who, who plays a flute. Look, she's either got some really advanced like flute uh, mouth-blowing technique where she doesn't need to move her fingers, or it's some really questionable kind of like finger sinking but like all these flute notes are coming out and she's like not moving her fingers at all anyway that that was kind of amusing but there's this uh orchestral band camp kind of uh friend of his son she's already one year high so she's already in in college um you know all these girls are like fairly like good makeup reasonable grooming all that kind of stuff um young and nubile all that all that kind of impression and it's a moment when she, she disses Ben Stiller's character's friend. It's getting really complicated. Ben Stiller's character's friend, who's the college professor and television personality, and she doesn't like him. And it's just this massive case of confirmation bias that suddenly Ben Stiller feels this attraction to her, this kind of connection to her. And it just seems all linked to she doesn't like the person that he's jealous of. It's like, oh, his enemy's enemy. And automatically he starts kind of pursuing her, fantasizing about her, which is like really weird. It's like quite, quite strange. <laughs> so eventually he does meet up with this television personality guy, which again is something really strange because te television personality, really busy schedule, 
I mean, Ben Stiller's character should just be actually quite grateful that he has a chance to meet him. But it's kind of random that they even can meet at all. Maybe, you know, there's a strong value in the old college friendship. Maybe he doesn't have his schedules down tight. But for whatever reason, they go to meet. Understandably, he's a little bit late. Um, but, you know, he's not rude about it at all. And this scene probably sets you up to think, oh, he's going to be a real jerk, you know, from what the, the girl has said. But it seems like she has her own worldview and she has her own reasons for not liking his sense of humour, that she doesn't find it very politically correct. But anyway, he, he comes in, they get a lot of privileges at the restaurant. You know, Ben Stiller's character is shafted to one of the worst tables. But as soon as this guy arrives, a table that he was told is not available is suddenly given to them. And it's like, oh, well, it turns out like it, it is available. And he says this snide remark to... Um, the waitress who you know doesn't really say anything back it just everything about him is so bitter instead of being like wow this is incredible that he can link up with this person he knew a while back and they can talk about their lives and then he can just learn something really cool from this person who's who's agreed to meet up with him he's just like bitter he's like oh look this person is privileged that he doesn't not thinking about all the people who have possibly less objective privilege than him they start talking and Ben Stiller's character talks about how they were in competition before. Like, he, he says this line that starts off sounding really good, like he's really happy for the other guy. It looked like he was about to come up with something bitter, but he says he's really happy. But then he slips and he mentions that they were in competition. And the television personality guy from college, he's just really confused. He's like, what, what competition? Ben Stiller's like, oh, you know, come on. Like, you know, own up that, that they were in competition. And then the other guy, possibly more to humor him, it's just like, oh, look, for maybe like a second, but he hasn't thought of him that way. And instead of Ben Stiller realizing maybe he overinterpreted a stimulus, that maybe he was overly sensitive to things, he suddenly just gets really, really annoyed and without proper explanation, just walks out on the television personality guy. He's like, he's not going to do this anymore, whatever this is. And that's a great question, you know, what is, what is this? <laughs> This, this person was just being nice to him and agreeing to meet with him when he had wanted to meet up. Suddenly he just gets all huffy and s splitting in a way and, and, and then actually physically like he splits, but not literally, you know. It's really strange. And it just was a really, really ungracious moment. It's always kind of interesting, but a little bit unnerving when you have movies where the main character is actually not very likable. In this case, it wasn't a very likable kind of moment there. Um, you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. But I suppose the redeeming part is that he goes to meet up with his son, thinking his son is so important, gets all teary, holds his son's hand, and they watch this strangely finger-choreographed orchestral performance instead. So you actually never find out which college the son goes to. It's maybe the point of it that, that is kind of open, that the kid has so much potential, whereas Ben still has already doomed himself in this movie to a lifetime of bitterness and vicarious living through his child. But it's just strange. <laughs> strange is what it is. People will go to great measures to look at self-improvement, self-development methods, ways to get better. And that's great. That's reasonable. That's what you want. That's productive. Sometimes it's also useful to look at things that you want to avoid, things that you don't want to do, things where not doing these things will make you better. And I guess that's what this movie kind of shows you. It's probably things you already knew, but sometimes it's just useful to have a really stark reminder in a different way. The lesson from here, 
don't compare yourself unnecessarily. And also, if you're going to achieve, think about the people around you. Think about the people you're associating with. Think about the level of privilege that you already have. The fact that you have enough already.